GamesInTheMedia.com presents... When will I learn? The answer to life's problems aren't at the bottom of a bottle. <laughs> They're on Noiseland Arcade. With Craig WK... He's just a little shy because I've tried to kill him so many times. And Sean, the arcade phantom. An underachiever, and yet he seems to be... How should I put this? Proud of it? They're violent and they distract you from your schoolwork. Well, time to hit the books. Say, who's up for a little cramps? Welcome to Noiseland Arcade. I am Craig WK, and with me, as always, is Sean the Arcade Phantom. How's it going? Doing good. I'm doing great, Sean. Um, I'm pretty excited to be talking about this episode. It's a pretty good one. It's a pretty good one. It's it's kind of a classic, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of classic moments in this episode. Today we're talking about Homer Defined. Sean, when did this episode first air? October 17th, 1991. Yeah, so in this episode, Homer accidentally prevents a meltdown from happening at the power plant and is hailed as a hero despite his shame. All the while, Bart has to deal with being a bad influence on Millhouse. This might be one of my favorite B stories in the entire series. Yeah, there, there's a lot more definition in the B story for this one, uh, which we'll chat about throughout the episode here, of course. So, so Craig, depress us. Start us off with depressing note. You always do. <sighs> Tell me how bad the world is and make me hate everything and make me never want to go outside again. Well, it's funny you say that. So. The day before this episode aired, George Hennard drove his truck into Lubby's, Lubby's? Lubby's cafeteria in Killeen, Texas, and then proceeded to shoot patrons. He killed 23 people, injured 27, predominantly women. Uh, he was racist, homophobic, and especially mis- misogynistic. He was known to refer to women as vipers, especially after fights with his mother. Uh, He even stalked a pair of sisters who lived near him and sent them letters insinuating that they were his fans. This guy was just an all-around nut job and creep. God damn you, Mega Man. Why did you make this man kill? Why did these video games lead him to kill, Craig? Oof. So... So this guy, you know, smashed his truck into this, this cafeteria place, this restaurant or whatever, started shooting people, uh, focused on women... Uh, and after a brief shootout uh, and having run out of ammo in one of his guns, he then, with his second gun, shot himself. This was the most deadly shooting until Virginia Tech in 2007. And you want to know the most depressing fact? That this has been topped numerous times. Mm-hmm. This is now only the sixth, sixth deadliest shooting in America. Yep. But it's them video games that was causing it all. <sighs> Them video games, they cause the violence. Video games don't necessarily make people go on crazy shooting sprees. I'll grant that, you know, there are definitely games out there that, that can, you know, cause a surge in, in some, you know, negative negative emotions for sure. But uh, forcing you to pick up a couple of, uh, you know, 9 millimeter guns and go into a place with a whole bunch of magazines and start shooting people is a bit much. A little bit. Just a bit much. So, yeah, we had a, a one of the, the America's, uh, at this time, America's most deadly shooting that had happened to date. 
yes, that happened before the day before this episode aired. So, Sean. So the day after this episode aired, yeah, we got a slice of the 90s. I want you to think of the early 90s. What do you imagine? Uh, uh, fluorescent colors, uh, rollerblades, uh, let's see, uh, GAC. Uh, <laughs> so I love your assessment of the Flum. 90s because you're pretty close to what I'm about to tell you about. The color orange. On yeah. October 18th, 1991, uh-huh. Cool as Ice opened in theaters. Cool as what? So Cool as Ice is an American romantical musical comedy starring Vanilla Ice. Oh, no. Directed by David Kellogg. So Vanilla Ice plays a motorcycle riding rapper who arrives in a small town and meets a girl. Mm-hmm. And he falls in love. Meanwhile, her father is not keen of this. Uh-huh. I'm going to show you the poster of this and tell me how dead on this was for you. So the poster is Vanilla Ice standing in front of a motorcycle. Oh, my Lord. In some big puffy pants uh-huh. that are multicolored. Uh-huh. And it is the most 90s thing you'll ever see. Man. His his motorcycle is so, so just bright that it almost feels like it's a transformer. Cool as Ice cost $6 million to produce and only made $1.2 million. It was considered a commercial <laughs> flop. <laughs> Take that, Vanilla Ice. You've had it too good for too long. Man, it lost $5 million? Uh, 4.8. And that's just the budget of the film. So when people talk about the budget of a film, that doesn't account for any kind of advertising. Oh. So this movie probably had, at that time, another $500,000 in advertising. Nowadays, it's more like half the budget of the movie is advertising money. Jeez. Wow. Didn't Vanilla Ice have egg on his face? Yeah. Is this because I know Vanilla Ice got real popular and then just sort of faded off? Is this the movie that kind of made things fade away for Vanilla Ice? So, you would think so. Uh huh. The film's soundtrack album contained four new songs by Vanilla Ice. Okay. As well as other material, and it peaked at, n- at number eighty-nine on the Billboard two hundred. Okay. I mean, so that's it not bad. Still did really good music-wise. Interesting. Huh. But yeah, Vanilla Ice could not act, and it is a bad movie. I have sat through this movie. It's real bad. I had a drinking game to this movie, and it is a nightmare. What was the thing that made you drink the most? Can you can you remember? <sighs> or did all the alcohol make you forget the, the game? You know, I think there was a rule that every time you saw somebody on a motorcycle who you thought was a stunt double and not Vanilla Ice, you had to take a drink, and I think that was the one. <laughs> Because there's like all these rad scenes where he's like jumping stuff. There's like a fight in like a like construction yard at some point or something. I remember. <sighs> that sounds like a motorcycle rapper movie. It's basically the road rash, the crappy version. <laughs> oh God, that does. It sounds like a really bad version of Road Rash the movie. Uh, so let's get back into this episode because yeah, now I've '90s us up, yo. I, I'm well. I'm glad you you did a you know a 180 uh, with your motorcycle on that uh, mood because good lord, oh, I, yeah. I really brought us you down. You brought with us that down, one. and mine was Mondo Cool. That's right, boys. Mondo Cool. So the episode starts off, and the writers take a jab at uh, uh, a magazine that had been popular at that time. I don't know if it's still popular. Now, I'm sure I'm sure there's an online version, so it must be doing okay. But uh, U.S. of A. Today is a newspaper that Homer's reading. So I remember U.S.A. Today being like 
in McDonald's. Oh, yeah, they were everywhere. Like, I remember McDonald's had copies of them, and there there were always old people eating their all-American meals, which is basically (laughs) a happy meal without a toy. Yeah, the the newspaper was founded in 1982. They they talk about how like because Homer says like you know uh, like this magazine has the the courage to to report that everything is a okay and everything's going fine. And I feel like from the 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 infograph on like the front page that's like America's favorite pencil is uh, is the number, number two. two, and it's like number two is number one. You know, I felt like the the writers just really really were taking jabs at the USA Today. Uh, but I'm not entirely sure why. I don't remember, like, I, but I never read it when I was a kid or anything, so I don't know. I When I did some research online, I didn't find that people felt like it was not a very, you know, good magazine. It leans a little to the left, you know, like as far as, but almost all media publications will lean one way or the other, typically. So that's the only thing I can think of. I don't know. Yeah. But, oh, well, whatever. So just factoids and Larry King. That's all it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so Bart is writing a birthday card for Millhouse, and he's like, you know, enjoy your birthday from Bart. And Lisa's like, oh, that's so nice. And he shows the card, and it's like, uh, the drum I was going to get you broke, birthday boy, but here's a nice pair of bongos. And it, like, you open up the card, and it's like a girl in a bikini. And Lisa's like, you... Lisa has the right reaction. She does, but I will admit that there were plenty of times in my early teenage years when I got birthday cards that were like, you know, girls in bikinis. I think it's the, the it's a little gross, but I feel like that's the target kind of like, oh, prepubescent young boy, like, you know, early teens, young man, here you go. It's a girl in a bikini for a birthday card. I mean, they have the opposite, too. They have like buff firemen and like shirtless poses and cards. I got a lot of those growing up. I wait. What? I got a lot of those growing up. What? <clears throat> Nothing. I just learned something about you that I didn't know, and I'm happy for it. So that guy really loves a beefcake. <laughs> <laughs> so Sherry and uh, well, so it cuts to the school bus, and Bart is talking like, ah, oh, you know, he's a pity your mom didn't let you have a birthday party or whatever. And Millhouse is like, yeah. And Sherry and Terry were invited. They talk about how, like, you know, we love the streamers. And Bart's like, what are you talking about? And they're like, nothing. <laughs> you know, and go off. But Sherry and Terry were invited. Yeah. Sherry and Terry went. I went to a lot of kids that I wasn't friends with birthday parties. It's like a pleasant gesture in elementary school. I wasn't invited. Oh. Ever. Oh. Yeah. I, I went to a lot of those that... I remember one I went yeah. to and there, there was a game... It was like one of the girls in my class's party. Uh-huh. There was a game where you had to like sing a song that you knew or you could hum a song. Or... Uh-huh. Oh, God. What was your song? Starlight Zone. Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Good choice. Solid choice. <laughs> and then I played Mario Kart with her little brother for the rest of the day, and it was the best day ever. <laughs> that actually sounds really nice. So Bart gives, gives Milhouse a present. And it's a pair of walkie-talkies so that when they want to chat anytime, they can call each other and tell them each other to turn the uh, walkie-talkies on. Uh, I love the fact that, like, Nelson, or not Nelson, I'm sorry, Martin, is like, oh, I, I love the jelly bean baskets and, you know, it's all the small touches. And he's, like, babbling on and on. And Bart's like, what's he talking about? And Milhouse is like, uh, hey, look at that dog. And Bart looks out the window and he goes, 
Wow. Brown. <laughs> so I like a lot of cartoons, mm-hmm. e- even in my adult years. I love cartoons. Oh, sure, sure. I'm, I'm definitely a cartoon guy. And there's a scene in Invader Zim that this makes me think of, (laughs) where the kid gets trapped in an infinite loop on the bus, and he keeps seeing the dog, and he's like, I like that dog. And at the end of the episode, when all the kids are free, the kid's like, I'm going to miss that dog. That's what I thought of when I saw that. Yeah, I'm sure the, I I don't doubt that uh, uh, this scene had to have inspired that, Uh, even if it was subconsciously. Uh, So, Otto ruins everything, though. Otto then gets on this like the bus's PA system and he's like, shout out to Millhouse who had a rockin' party. Also, I'm sorry about my pants being on your roof. Dude, what a rager Millhouse had. Otto's pants are on the roof. Is it that it was such a rager or does it not just not take that much for Otto to lose his pants on a roof? He still had his pants when Bart had his house torn up for a party. That's true. And Otto's got some freaky friends. So, I mean, like the fact that his pants are gone... This is an intense party. Also, he wanted to know if there were any girls older than, what, like, 8 or 10 or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, yeah. Otto's into some, he's into some weird stuff. And speaking of debauchery, uh, Burns, it cuts to the power plant, and Burns says that it's time for his workers to pay for their two days of debauchery, as it's Monday. And he asks Smithers what he did for the weekend. And we get a little bit of a glimpse into Smithers' life here. Yeah, it's weird because later on we'll see Smithers spends almost every day with Burns. At this time, though, he doesn't necessarily spend every waking moment with him. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, he, he mentions that he sees him a lot. Maybe it's only on work days. That and could he be. the weekends off. Uh, but Smithers wrote a letter to his mother and he took his, uh, oh, uh, then he did laundry and he took his, uh, uh, he took Hercules to get clipped. And I love Mr. Burns' reaction is, who the devil is Hercules? And it's this tiny Yorkshire Terrier. And it's named Hercules as a joke because Hercules is big and he's a little dog. And uh, Burns does not seem thrilled with the notion that Smithers has a pet. Yeah. He's just kind of like almost like grossed out by the notion. Well, could you imagine if your cat had a pet? All right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll grant you that. Smithers is basically a pet to Burns. Yeah, you're not wrong. He sleeps by his foot of his bed. If my yeah, <laughs> if my pet had a pet, I guess I would be kind of weirded out. I. Uh, also, did you catch the really weird thing when he shows the picture of the dog? No. Well, one of two things has happened. Is it the dog from the uh, dog training episode? Oh, I don't. It might be. And now that I don't know. That we would have to, to look more into later. Um, one of two things has happened. Either Smithers took his dog to work and took the picture, or Smithers has an enormous portrait of Mr. Burns at his house that he posed for this picture in front of. Because in the picture that Smithers shows, he's in front of a portrait of Mr. Burns. So did he take the dog to work, or does he have a giant portrait of Mr. Burns at home? I mean, I'd have a giant portrait of Mr. Burns at home. I feel like that's kind of weird, mostly for the fact that I imagine Smithers in, oh, Smithers does have an apartment, doesn't he? He does, because he's got all his male blue Stacys there. Yeah, we've seen that before. So he doesn't necessarily have the room for it, so maybe he did bring the dog into work? But then Mr. Burns was surprised that he had a dog. Huh. Well, Burns also doesn't know who Homer is. He normally always remembers everybody else, though. So... Hmm. 
I'm going to rival that. Oh, yeah? Because you say it's weird that he's got a giant portrait of Burns. Uh, a little weird, sure. I mean, if you had a picture, it's one thing, but a giant portrait is, is a little, you know, it's a little odd. When was the last time you were at my bar? Um, I've got that nice oil painting of you. Touche. I've not seen that. So fair enough, Sean. Also in the background on one of the monitors, we see a group of clones go like walking. It's like just the same guy over and over again. Uh, but they're all together at the same time. So it's not just looped. It's yeah. Meh. Anyway, I uh, we also uh, uh, have Mr. Burns talking about how he saw a movie over the weekend, you know, because Smithers asked what he did. And Mr. Burns is is taken aback. He saw a movie, and apparently most of the movie, this blonde harlot, I think he calls her, had paraded around naked throughout the movie. It then cuts to the cafeteria, and Homer is telling Lenny and Carl about how he saw this movie, and the blonde girl was, uh, like, gorgeous, and she had, quote-unquote, great assets, and they start making pig noises? So, Burns makes a comment that he says... I'll just give the unwashed masses something to oink at. And then it cuts ah. to them, and they're going... <laughs> okay, so that's the joke. Because when I was... I didn't catch that at first, because, uh, like, while I was watching it, like, you know, Homer and, and all the guys... And the guys are making these, like, pig noises. And I was like, isn't that normally what you do when you're making a derogatory remark about a female? Not necessarily, like, one that you felt was attractive? Yeah, you give them something to oink at. It was a little weird. I like it. I mean, I get the gag. I, I, I now like that it. now <laughs> I understand the gag, it's just I, there is something a little weird about that. But whatever. So, I uh, sounds uh, like my kind of picture. <laughs> <laughs> so, Homer's in the uh, the his his little workplace, you know, in Sector Seven G, uh, with a box of donuts, and he's just sticking his finger in them to see what kind they are. He apparently doesn't like lemon or cherry, which kind of surprises me. I. Uh, I love lemon-filled donuts. I do. Like, I I will talk about plain breakfast food that's on here, but man, if you give me a lemon-filled donut, holy crap, I will eat an entire box of those. I do really like the lemon-filled, and I don't have them very often. I I honestly think I typically only have them during, like, Fat Tuesday, Punchkey days. Yeah, which, is that more of a Michigan thing because of Hamtramck and the high high concentration of, like, Polish people in the area? I know Fat Tuesday is a thing everywhere in America, but is Punchkeys more of, like, a Michigan thing? I don't believe so. I would love for every one of our listeners to be like, what the hell is a punch key? That would be what are great. they talking about? What is that? Uh, for those who don't know, a punch key is uh, basically like a filled donut, uh, usually with like fruit fillings, chocolate, vanilla, whatever. And they're typically prepared around Fat Tuesday because, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, Christians? Catholics? Catholics. Catholics, specifically. Uh, it's you know, it's go on Christianity, Lent. but yeah. Catholic is very big on it. Yeah, yeah. They go on Lent and can no, typically, you know, cut themselves off from from wonderful foods like punch Fools! Fools indeed. Because I, if I could have a punch every day, I would. I, I get, I'd die, I get but donuts I would. all the time. I honestly frequent donut places quite a lot. I really, I really. The fact that I'm not a larger man with how much <laughs> I eat donuts shocks me because I eat a lot of donuts. <laughs> But you don't see lemon filled very often, do you? Yeah, I can get them. We've got a little donut shop by us called the Looney Baker, and they have them pretty frequently, actually. Okay, yeah. Shout out to the Looney Baker in Livonia because that place is great. Yeah, we're advertising you, Looney Baker. Give me free shit. You should really, really, really sponsor the show, Looney Baker. 
That is what you the should The mob doing. didn't do it, so why won't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, we haven't. You know, give the mob a little bit of time, Sean. Give them some time. What are, what are they busy doing? Throwing somebody in the river? Yes, that is what they're busy doing. Oh. And it'll be you if you don't watch your mouth. You're right. We, <laughs> we respect you, Mob. Please support our show. So as Homer is playing around with these donuts and he finds a purple one, the purple donut goo splatters on the temperature or the uh, the core temperature gauge and just sort of you know sits there, you know. That's Meanwhile, why he should have knife and forked that. He could have just carefully cut into that donut, had little pieces of it. Wouldn't have got it everywhere. Even when you're talking about wonderful breakfast food and not shit, you still somehow managed to ruin it. How does that feel? How does that feel, Sean, to know that you're just like every breakfast you touch, you corrupt? At least my hands are clean. You disgust me. So meanwhile, Otto is humming Edgar Winter's Frankenstein, which is a really neat song. I definitely recommend you uh, search it up if you're uh, not familiar with it. Uh, Bart is just sliding around in the back of the bus because he's just stayed on. He's depressed. Millhouse, all those kids took off earlier and, you know, Millhouse is like, sorry, Bart, my, you know, can't be friends anymore. And Bart's just despondent. Otto doesn't notice, though, and just driving around, and Bart's bouncing around, and he goes to uh, the Quickie Mart because he has the munchies. He's hankering for a heat lamp dog. <laughs> just that title of the hot dog sounds gross. I, I love cheap 7-Eleven hot dogs and taquitos and things like that. I mean, it, like, junk food like that is great. I'll definitely grant you that, but, like, when you... When you when you're going to just lay it out there and just stay, say the truth like that, like, I want one of your heat lamp dogs... Ugh, just makes it sound real bad. I mean, they're delicious, but it makes it sound bad. Apu, though, notices that he still has a kid in the bus. And Apu and, and Otto are apparently buddies, and, you know, uh, they're, they, you know, high-five each other or whatever. But, you know, Apu's like, uh, you know, you have a kid in the back of your bus. And Otto's like, oh, man, it's a good thing you pointed that out. I was about to go to Mexico. That's weird, right? He's still got to pick the kids up at the end of the day. I mean, he doesn't have to if he's not in the state. Not in the country. (laughs) He's going to Mexico with the school bus. He's stolen the school's property. He's just going to the happiest place on earth. Tijuana. Uh, So it cuts back to the nuclear power plant. And the suspense kind of starts to build as we see the the uh, the purple stuff is just sort of like bubbling and and you know splattering around uh, in the power in, in sector seven G. However, over in Burns's office, he's talking about how you know in his day actresses didn't need to take off their clothes to be hot, and references Vilma Banky, who with one raised eyebrow, blah 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 blah. Uh, do you know much about her? Go ahead, because I know you did all the research onto this. <laughs> You're not wrong. So, Vilma Banky was an actress who was active from 1919 to 1933. She was in The Eagle and The Son of the Sheik. Uh, she died earlier uh, in the year this episode first aired. Uh, which, Sean, have you seen either of those movies? I, I've, I'm not a movie guy, so I haven't. I have not, actually. Really? She was Hungarian, correct? Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was. I did find that out. Uh, apparently, a lot of people thought that her accent... Uh, might have been the reason why she stopped doing movies uh, because, you know, like sound pictures with sound were coming out, you know, starting to come out uh, towards the end of her career. 
But uh, it turned out that from research, she just actually just <laughs> wanted to retire. She just wanted to spend time with like her husband and like you know, she apparently golf was her favorite sport, so that's what she played. Apparently, a lot of famous people who were like really famous in the silent movie era stopped acting when the talkies came out. Well, I'm sure that you know when when your entire skill list is is very based on or is all based upon like movement and motion and like you know how you move and how you depict yourself. It doesn't necessarily mean you have a nice voice. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can like enunciate very well. I'm not going to say that it was impossible for them. It maybe it totally was possible and it just didn't work out or something for other reasons. But like, you know, it, it would be weird. Like it would almost be taking like someone who's a voice actor and being like, all right, hop on into this movie and have them being, having them be like, uh, what? Like I can talk, but like, what, what? I can't do anything else. I, uh, but I, uh, as Mr. Burns is babbling and stuff, the alarm goes off and they find out that there's a problem in Sector 7G. And Burns is like, who, who do we have there? And Smithers is like, uh, Homer Simpson. And he's like, Simpson? Smart man? Intelligent? And he's like, actually, sir, he was hired under uh, uh, Project Bootstrap. And he goes, thank you, President Ford. Which I did some research. <laughs> Apparently, Project Bootstrap was a thing. It began in 1947, was a pro project to industrialize Puerto Rico. It has nothing to do with hiring people in the States. Uh, there's no other program like that. In fact, uh, I, I'm not even sure exactly uh, what that would be in reference to, except I think that it was a jab at President Ford. And it was also that would have been the time when Homer would have been joining the nuclear power plant. So I think that they just stole the president from that time and just made a, a, a project name that made it seem like, you know, somebody who was very inept got the job. Because that wasn't really a thing. Ford may have had programs that work programs, but none of them were actually Project Bootstrap. Interesting. Yeah. I, I thought that was weird because, once again, the Simpsons are typically pretty good about history. They went and got a real actress, Vilma Banky, but they just sort of made up this work program for this gag. It's a funny gag. You know, it's a jab at President Ford. Can't have too many of those. I, uh, but uh, but yeah, that uh, uh, he was president from uh, what was it? I uh, seventy four to seventy seven or something like that. So like he would have been president for a couple of years after Homer would have well not graduated as we later find, but got out of high school. I. Uh, so it cuts back to the inside of the, uh, you know, the, the power plant, or I'm sorry, inside Sector 7G, and Homer uh, yells out, he's like, noise, bad noise, and he's like, don't worry, don't worry, I'm sure someone will uh, fix this, and then he realizes, it's my problem, uh, as his station gets isolated. Also, for the record, Sean... The purple stuff is boiling on the temperature gauge. Yeah. Why? Because that gauge is getting really hot. But no, it's not. That's just the indicator for the temperature. It's That's not get, where the temperature is. It's getting really hot. They Craig. don't. They don't have the the, the the nuclear reactor is not underneath Homer's station. Isn't it though? No, Homer would be dying. Homer would be dead if that's if that room was hot enough to boil grape jelly. Hmm. Purple stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 
while that's happening, it cuts back to the school bus, and Bart is talking about how Milhouse shafted him. Like, he didn't get invited to his best friend's birthday party. Like, that is a kick in the pants. Don't worry, though. Otto's got some words for him. Yeah, uh, apparently Otto was... He just says it's his old lady. So it was either somebody he was married to or an ex-girlfriend that he doesn't really say. But he says that she ran off with his brother. But the joke's on them because now he's sleeping on their couch. Who's laughing now? I love Otto. I love Otto so much. I like Otto too, but wow, that is rough. That is rough, right? It's super rough, but he's sleeping on their couch, so joke's on them. <laughs> so... It cuts to uh, Marge, who's watching TV. And and this is an, a, an interesting episode because we're seeing a lot of cuts. It's jumping around to a lot of different stories throughout uh, uh, this episode, uh, which I think is, you know, we'll see moving forward in The Simpsons a lot more often. Uh, but uh, she's watching the sleazy boss, sle- like, you know, start making out with his, like, co- like his, his co-worker or whatever. Voiced by John Lovitz. Yeah, and it is. I love this, like... Soap opera she's uh, watching. Uh, I think it's oh, what was it called? Rising. Uh, I don't remember. Go, go, yeah, go ahead though. I just love the Mr. Deverall. <laughs> <laughs> then you're fired. Starts making out with her and stuff. It's like what? What is this? That is sexual harassment 101. That's it, is. it is. Yeah, you're not wrong. I, I, yeah, that was a, I, I, a really. <laughs> <laughs> really weird one. Uh, now you said it was a uh, was his name Mr. Deverall? I believe it's Mr. Deverall. Interesting. I, Deverall uh, or Davenport, something Davin, like that. Maybe yeah, maybe Davenport. I don't know. I uh, oh well, but I uh, so yeah, it it you know cut, it breaks off the the you know the episode as the uh, what is it? Kent Brockman is getting himself ready. Yeah, Kent Brocken's getting ready for the news report, and Scott Christensen announces him. Oh, yeah, it is. It's Scott Christensen doing the lead-in, and I, uh, you know, he, he uh, I, I love the stock photo of Mr. Burns with, like, the toupee, and he's like, oh, it's no big deal, just, a, you know, minor, uh, tiny things. Our, our skilled technicians are looking into it, and it just cuts to the power plant. Everybody's freaking out. So... You pointed out something earlier in The Simpsons. Yeah. They had the phone call scene where they showed all the old clips of people on the cell phone. Yeah. Or on the phones, rather. Uh-huh. It's weird to me that we have a sign in this town that warns us of nuclear meltdown, uh-huh. and it wasn't lit up, and we didn't get to see it. Oh, yeah. Uh, it makes you think at that point, oh, this is an incredibly stupid idea, a glowy sign. That warns of meltdown. I just figured they would have taken the animation from it and used that scene. Oh, yeah, that that makes sense. It would have been a quick thing to like be a sight gag, but nope, they didn't. Yeah, they didn't. And normally they love to reuse stuff. Yeah, I would have, would not have caught that if I didn't think about this show and break down every episode so deeply <laughs> that I hate my life. <laughs> so everybody's... Like freaking out, they're like you know saying prayers. Guys are smashing open candy machines. Rats are fleeing the power plant. It's ridiculous. I love the guys who are cracking open the vending machine to buy cola to get all the cola. <laughs> I would do that. I'd be like, well, I'm gonna die. Might as well have fun. <laughs> oh man. So uh, I also love that Burns uh, says that uh, it's not a meltdown. It's an unrequested fission surplus. 
which I did a little bit of uh, general research, nothing crazy here, but uh, a core meltdown uh, accident occurs when the heat generated by a nuclear reactor exceeds the heat removed by the cooling systems to the point where at least one nuclear fuel element exceeds its melting point. So that's what's happening, if that makes any sense to you. Marge prays for Homer. And maybe she should pray for their whole family and the entire city and maybe even the surrounding cities because, good Lord, bad things could happen. So, speaking of that, Mm -hmm. they kind of play this off like it's just going to blow up the nuclear power plant in that area and that'll be it. Like, there's a blast zone they show off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is post-Chernobyl. Oh, yeah. They they should have... Well... That, that was national news. We should oh, have some knowledge of what's going to happen and the horrors that are going to happen. This is Pripyat, basically. Yeah, you're not wrong. I just wonder how much of, of the Chernobyl incident was known, you know, to people in the West, like, you know, over in America and stuff. You know, like, I, I'm not, I just don't know how much info they had learned by then. Because, I mean, let's face it, at this point, the USSR is still a thing. There yeah, had to be a lockdown of a lot of information. Not really. A lot of it got forced out because other places oh. were hit by nuclear fallout from So it. the UN stepped in and was like, hey, hey what's going on? you have to on? tell us what the fuck's going on, basically. I gotcha. Because uh, yeah. like, it could be felt all the way to Denmark. That is so terrifying. That is utterly terrifying. Nuclear power can be you know, pretty clean fuel, uh, fuel source or uh, energy source, but uh, man, it could be really dangerous when things mess up. This one time, nuclear radiation caused a giant lizard to come and attack Japan, I heard. I heard that as well. Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so Homer gets out the manual, and he's like, oh, it's as fat as a phone book. Which, for those who don't know, back in the day, uh, phone books were huge. And uh, you got them way more frequently than you do now. It's like once a year or something. They still do exist, though, which I learned today. Oh, yeah. When we were leaving my uh, place to uh, uh, head over and record, uh, my apartment complex had a bunch of uh, uh, phone books just like thrown outside the front door. I can tell you what I'm not picking up when I get back. Tell you what I'm forcing you to pick up, a phone book. (laughs) So. Homer, though, laments, who'd have thought a nuclear reactor would be so complicated as he's trying to look through this manual? Uh, we find out that Smithers loves Burns. Uh, Smithers it says, you know, it's like he's like, ah, you know, there's only so much time left. He's like, I just want to tell you I love you. And Burns is like, hot dog. Thank you for making my last moments on Earth socially awkward. Uh, cuts to Barney. Uh, who couldn't have led a richer life as he's sitting in Moe's Tavern. Uh, and I love the fact that the old people at the home are watching this, and Kent Brockman is talking, and he says something about how after the the, uh, the nuclear reactor explodes, there'll be bands of roving bandits, and then they turn the channel to Wheel of Fortune. Which, Wheel of Fortune is, of course, a very popular game show in America. I feel like it doesn't really need much of an explanation. Uh, no, but... But... Wheel of Fortune was syndicated for pre-primetime television. Did they play repeats? In 1989. There was no game show network. Oh, yeah. So its syndication takes place pre-primetime television, post your local news, meaning this incident had to occur somewhere between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Huh. So why 
are the kids in school when this happens? Uh, I would say that they didn't understand what time Wheel of Fortune was when they were doing the episode. And uh, yeah, because yeah, Bart's still on the school bus talking with like Otto yeah. at this time. And we will see the school itself in a second. Yeah, we will. So yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the, that is something they messed up on. It shouldn't have been Wheel of Fortune. It should have been... Uh, the Price is Right would have been more accurate for yeah. the time. Price is Right. Yeah, Price is Right would have totally worked. And oh, people love Price is Right, too. Yeah, Bob Barker was in charge back then. Oh, he yeah. He was in the heyday of it. This is pre-Skinny Drew Carey days. Wow, yeah. What an age we lived in. Uh, and so it cuts back to Homer. And he's like, oh, when you look up stupid in the dictionary, you'll see a picture of me. As he like, throws the manual around. And it cuts to the dictionary. And you see uh, stupid. Slow of mind, unintelligent, Homer Simpson. I, we see Marge in the living room praying, and she, I like Marge's prayer here. She says, "Yeah, she says that she'll be a better Christian," and she thinks about it for a moment. Can't think of how she could do that, and then realizes, "Oh, well, when they ask for the, when there's a canned food drive, I'll give the poor something else besides old lima beads and pumpkin mix," which. I mean, I think a lot of our listeners probably know when canned food drives happen and you get guilted into giving something, it's usually something you didn't want in the back of a cupboard, right? Usually. Yeah. Old pumpkin mix. Or something that's gone expired. You throw it out there. You're like, oh, I did something nice. But really, I just cleared out that expired product. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to eat it anyway. Yeah, yeah. basically. Uh, Homer is is doing his best to think of what to do. And he's like, okay, Homer, think back to your training. And it's him playing with a Rubik's Cube, and the guy is like, Homer, if, if, if a meltdown happens, press this button. This button. Yeah, Homer, are you paying attention? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, he's like, ooh, I got a side. Uh, now, Rubik's Cubes were big in the 70s, weren't they? Big in the 80s. Oh, okay, 80s. Huh. Well, actually, uh, Homer had hair in the flashback. He did. Homer didn't become the... S- safety inspector until till he tried to kill himself the early 90s i mean he could still have a uh, rubik's cube i'll grant that but he should not have had hair in the flashback no ha <laughs> caught you again simpsons you thought you could pull one over on craig did you i'm above that also if this episode also, takes no place what? in 1991 Mm-hmm. That would mean that Homer's flashback is 1981 because Bart is 10 years old and Bart was born, so he got a job at the power plant. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Huh. The Simpsons continuum doesn't make that much sense. Anyway, I Homer, I, I love when the flashback is over and he's looking at the Rubik's Cube, which is still in there. He's like, this is all your fault. He throws it. And he starts going through weird limericks to choose. One potato, two potato, three potato, four. No, no, no. Bubblegum, bubblegum in a dish. No, no. And he can't decide what, like, goofy, choosy limerick there is. I don't even know if our kid, like, kids today listening would know what those are. I don't know if they still use that stuff. I imagine they still use that stuff. Because, I mean, I, I, I never used the one potato, two potato, three potato, four. I did use bubblegum, bubblegum in a dish on occasion because it was bubblegum, bubblegum in a dish. How many pieces do you wish? You choose a number, and that's the number you jump back and forth until you get to your choice. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what Homer's going to go with, as we'll see in a few moments. So we get a couple shots of Springfield in the chaos. Ah, uh, yes. We so get, uh, Professor Frank explaining what's going to happen to people. <laughs> 
And in this zone, you'll see that we are uh, we, where we are is a slower, more painful death. Good Lord. I also love the fact that, oh, wait, actually, is this the first appearance of Frank? No, Frank's already shown off his death ray. Oh, yeah, he had the death ray. So this is like his second appearance. Uh, you also have Mr. Burns, and uh, uh, he says, only, uh, only thing left to do is kiss my sorry ass goodbye. And Smithers says, may I, sir? And he goes, ugh. We Smithers s- is being real aggressive. Well, Smithers thinks he's going to die. He's got to go for it, man. Yeah, that's true. We get um, Springfield Elementary where we see a scene where all the kids are underneath their desks. Sean, what the hell is duck and cover? Also, I love that uh, uh, Skinner, what does he say? So Skinner says, they called me a fool for teaching the duck and cover method, but joke's on them. Duck and cover was an old, old practice they had in the nuclear like war era. 50s? Pre, Pre-World War II, 50s, the Cold War. Wait, wait, pre-World post, War II? Post-World War II. Post, post, okay, I was getting kind of confused. Post, post-World War II. <laughs> in my timeline, World War II happened in the 60s. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically a method that if there's going to be a bomb, you got to hide underneath something and duck and cover. Mm-hmm. And they had educational cartoons about this. Mm-hmm. So I think we actually have one of those right now. Yeah, so we're going to play a small clip. Uh, So it's called Duck and Cover from 1951, starring Bert the Turtle. It's this little cartoon, and they sing a little jingle. Uh, Let's go ahead and uh, give this a listen. You ready, Sean? Yeah, let's do this. He did what we all must learn to do. You and you and you and you. Be sure to remember what Bert the Turtle. Uh, I I love the the fifties announcer for yeah. the record. That's great. So for our younger listeners, these educational videos, they're kind of the thing that the Fallout series parodies when they do their like parody videos of like yeah. what's Vault Boy gonna do in a scenario <laughs> like this. Yeah, the the the, I forgot all about that. Yeah, the Fallout series absolutely spoofs these old goofy fifties cartoons. Yeah, they do it very well. So. If you want an idea what Bert the Turtle is, just imagine the Vault Boy cartoons in Fallout, and that's basically what it is. So, <laughs> and ducking and covering from a nuclear d- bomb does nothing. Does nothing. No, it, 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 it is it is peace of mind. That is all it grants. The you. horrors of an atomic bomb are beyond belief. But they can all be stopped by ducking and covering underneath your school desk. No, they can't. I'm sorry. Homer is running out of time, and he proceeds to use eeny, meeny, miny, mo, which is eeny, meeny, miny, mo. catch a tiger by the toe. If he hollers, let him go, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And on mo, you, you know, that's your choice, and that's what you go with. And I love the commercial break here as his finger goes over the button as he says mo, with like his eyes closed, and the commercial break hits. We get back from commercial. And everything is fine. Homer did it. He saved the city. And he imagines in the dictionary uh, the word lucky, which is prone to good fortune, succeeding through chance, or Homer Simpson. And uh, we'll see, of course, throughout this episode that the dictionary is a pretty big gag. And I think Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Moe still exists nowadays. I bet it does. I mean, I, I would be, I guess I'd be surprised if it was completely gone. Because it still is parodied in things like Star Wars. Oh, yeah? In Star Wars, they have Wonga Winga Chinga Woos. 
Oh, I think there was a slur thrown in there. Which of these do I choose? <laughs> Very sure there was a slur thrown in there. Good lord, that sounds weird. And that's what what Star Wars movie is that? That is from the novelization of The Last Jedi. Really? Yes. Huh. Huh. Weird. I mean, I, I you know, I mean, I guess I get it. Like they're not going to have everything the same as us, even though we share a language. I believe it's also used in the Clone Wars, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, might be. I. Uh, so peace returns to Springfield, as well as the rats. Uh, we also have a scumbag guy come out of the closet uh, who was apparently hooking up with his girl during the, the reactor uh, issue. And she's like, will I ever see you again? And he's like, sure, baby. Next meltdown. <laughs> and like walks off and it's like, what a piece of garbage. What a scumbag. Comic book guy is selling shirts that say, like, I survived the Springfield nuclear disaster. Uh, Which is a thing that people do. They make shirts like that. Yeah. I mean, you got to think like any, well, we live in the Detroit area, so maybe it's, it's different for cities that aren't, you know, don't have sports teams around, but like we have so much bootleg sports team memorabilia and stuff. And like so many like Detroit rules and it's like, you know, made from a crappy printer on a shirt. Oh, I'm talking tragedies t-shirts. They make those. There's like, I survived 9-11 shirts that were sold in New York. Wow. I was actually in Hurricane Katrina, in the tale of it, but uh-huh. not really the actual thing. Right. And there were people selling shirts that were, I survived Hurricane Katrina in, like, Florida, where I was at the time. That just seems predatory. Oh, yeah. Mm. It totally is predatory marketing, but people do this kind of thing. Weird. There were, I survived the blackout of 2005 or four or whatever it was, ah, shirts. I went up north during that. I went to Brighton, Michigan, where they still had power, because they were on Canada's power grid, and drank a lot of beer. I went up north, and they were on Canada's power grid, and, uh, yeah, I, uh, oh, I had a great Canada, time. we love you. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Canada. I'm sorry about all the terrible things I've said about you in previous episodes. Please sponsor us, Canada. <laughs> so, I... Oh, I, I also love the fact that the uh, the old it cuts the old people, and it's like three loins in the fountain, and the old people are like, ah, ha, 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 and laughing at this guy and totally oblivious to the danger. Mister Burns on the phone with Kent Brockman says that a crow flew into the warning system, no big deal, and Kent Brockman says that he he promises he'll be more trusting and less vigilant in the future because that's what we need from our reporters: <laughs> trustworthiness and no vigilance. And Burns gets off the phone and smiles and says, I can still sell them snake oil. And uh, Burns says that he's going to make Homer employee of the month. And Smithers is so taken aback that he drops the alcohol to make Burns' wine spritzer. Weird. There were wine spritzers referenced in the episode before this. Yeah. Two episodes in a row. Let's go for three. Uh, Back at school, though. Bart is back, and he tries the uh, like. So he gets back to school by lunchtime, apparently, and he does the salt trick. Time doesn't make sense in this episode. Why is it only lunchtime? I don't know. I mean, it only took a few minutes for the meltdown incident to happen, right? But this has been a long day. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. I mean, they've already had like a lunch break at the power plant where they could talk about this movie. Maybe that was a 15 minute break. Maybe it have to be. I mean, Homer was eating donuts, so maybe that was just actually, like, him getting to work a few minutes early and talking with his coworkers or something? Homer doesn't get to work early. Okay, that's probably true. Unless it was daylight savings time. Oh, lousy farmers. (laughs) 
<laughs> so Bart goes up to Middlehouse and he's like, hey, do you want salt? And, and you know, he's eating his meal and he's like, sure. And so Bart does the salt trick where he loosens the cap. It pours salt all over everything. Bart laughs and he just says, all right, now we're even. And he wants to know, like, what Millhouse is up to. And it's interesting that that is, like, what it is going to take for Bart to, you know, be friends with Millhouse again. Like, Millhouse didn't invite him to his birthday party. Bart plays a trick on him. It it makes Millhouse upset. Bart laughs. And he goes, okay, we're even. Let's, what are we doing? What's up? And Millhouse admits. He says, my mom won't let me be friends with you anymore. And when Bart's like, what? Why? Milhouse says that, you know, she thinks that you're a bad influence. And Bart says, bad influence my butt. How many times have I told you never listen to your mother? Bart's the best. Milhouse says that he's going to do it because otherwise they'll cut off his allowance. And Bart is desperate. He tells Milhouse that whatever they're paying him, he'll double it. And Milhouse says, I'm sorry. And... It, it's strange to me that Millhouse is like, if, if that's all it is, it's weird that he didn't just take Bart on his offer or just tell his parents that he's not seeing Bart anymore, but hanging out with him at school. Yeah. Just seems weird to me. Cause I mean, it's kind of like the cartoons and the itchy and scratchy episode. Just go do it on the side and don't tell your parents what you're doing. Basically. Yeah. Oh, well, so Smithers is really against Homer being employee of the month, though. Well, yeah, because he's been employee of the month for month on month and ever, <laughs> pretty much ever. And, you know, Smithers is like, you know, remember the time I, you know, saved the company like one percent on this. And 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 Burns is like Smithers, you bean counter. He's like, you know, I, I have I need to find Homer Simpson as the employee. And uh, I cuts to Homer, who's now apparently at lunch. Drinking like soup or something? I don't know. Did he eat like ramen and like that's the leftover broth? Maybe it's a cup of coffee. In a bowl? Maybe it's a cup of coffee. You mean maybe a bowl of coffee? So uh, I love the fact that the guys are like, thanks for saving our life, Homer. Yeah, we owe you one. And it's like, it's just like no big deal to them. They're just like, oh, I owe you for saving my life. And Homer, who loves to just make sexist analogies, says that women are a lot or like nuclear power or nuclear reactors are a lot like women. You need to read the manual and press the right buttons. <laughs> Whoa, bro. And uh, you know, so that's that's a thing. But Homer does that frequently where he compares things to women. Yeah, he does. It's kind of weird. Yeah, the, like the time he got drunk and compared women to a refri- women to refrigerators. Well, women are a lot like refrigerators. And then he compared them to beer. You just want another. <laughs> the blue another. Step over your own mother for one. Homer's <laughs> got a drinking problem. So we all have a drinking problem. <laughs> Whoa! What's this wee stuff, Sean? <laughs> I don't have a problem just because my fridge at home is filled with beer, as you saw. I. Hmm. Uh, so Mr. Burns comes up to Homer and he tells him that you know he wants to to talk to him. And so Homer gets dragged to uh, this, like, big, you know, auditorium and stuff. And we see, like, Charlie, one of the guys from the bachelor party, is in the background of people yelling Homer's name. Homer gets a ham, a coupon book, a thumbs up, and uh, I think a company plague. Is that right? Yes. He gets the plague. 
<laughs> oh, wait, is that a plaque? It's a plaque. Ah, yes. He's immortalized on the wall, and we see nothing but Smithers' photo, and one of Homer now, and he gets a call from Irvin Magic Johnson. Who is a hero? Would you like me to lay some Magic Johnson information on you, Sean? Go for it. Magic Johnson played for the Los Angeles Lakers basketball team from 1979 to 1991. Uh, he won five NBA championships during that time. He did retire on November 7th, 1991, when he announced that he was HIV positive. At that time, it was widely believed that AIDS was a uh, homosexual disease. But Magic wanted uh, you know everyone to know that heterosexuals could, you know, it could happen to them too, you know. Uh, Johnson was, let's see, chosen to compete in the 1992 Summer Olympics for the U.S. basketball team, which had been dubbed the Dream Team because of the NBA stars on the roster. Sean, uh, do you know who was on this Dream Team? Dude, it's ridiculous. I know it's ridiculous. I'm trying to remember because I, I watch the Olympics every four years. Dude, it was great. So it's Magic Johnson... Uh, let's see, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, and Larry Bird were some of those players. It was insane. This team was unbeatable. The Dream Team dominated the competition, winning the gold medal with an 8-0 record, beating their opponents by an average of 43.8 points. <laughs> That's a ton. That is ridiculous. <laughs> they annihilated everybody. Magic Johnson is hailed as one of the is hailed as the greatest point guard in NBA history. Like he's amazing. Uh, for, for those that don't know. Space Jam is actually based on the Dream Team. Oh yeah, yeah. That that Looney Tunes movie that's not as good as you remember. <laughs> no, it was. Yeah, okay, it probably wasn't that great, was it? I. Uh, but yeah, Magic Johnson was amazing, and he was hailed as a, a hero for for coming out about his uh, him having HIV being HIV positive. Uh, which I mean, let's face it, at that time there was so much stigma about it. He could have very easily just just faded away from public eye and just never brought it up. And he came forward and basically said that he wanted to do everything he could to help people who, you know, had that condition, which is really awesome. Uh, doesn't seem like a huge deal these days, but back in early nineties, you know, that was pretty crazy. Uh, and it's also crazy to think, Sean, this happened. He retired a month after this episode aired. Good God. This episode aired on October 17th, 1991, and he uh, announced him having HIV positive and that he was retiring on November 7th, 1991. Now, mind you, his lines would have been recorded beforehand, of course, but yeah, it was about a month after this episode aired. That's crazy. Right? So, the... Uh, you know, so he talks with Magic Johnson and, you know, Homer's super excited, you know, because why wouldn't you be? Magic Johnson was great. Everyone loved him, except maybe Larry Bird. <laughs> so <laughs> they were rivals at the time because of uh, uh, the Lakers and the Celtics went to the, you know, finals so often in like the, the 80s. So, yeah, they, they had a little bit of a rivalry. Uh, but I. Uh, uh, Magic thanks Homer for averting a nuclear holocaust. And I love his line as the guy is like, he's like, he's like, Magic, if you go out there, your leg is good or your knees are going to be in terrible pain. And he just looks down. He's like, I don't care. And he just has this great grin on his face. Let's throw our tinfoil hats on for a second. Sure thing. So Homer's really excited about Magic Johnson calling him. Uh-huh. Who wouldn't be? He's a huge, huge basketball star at the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He was in, he was 
enormously huge. So we have an ongoing theory on the show that The Simpsons takes place in Michigan. We do. Where is Magic Johnson from? He is from Lansing, Lansing Michigan. Michigan. That's right. He's uh, from the capital of Michigan. For our listeners who aren't in the Detroit area, no, Detroit is not the capital. It's just the most popular of our cities. Lansing is the capital. Because a lot of people in the Detroit area, I remember liking Magic Johnson and being excited that he went to University of Michigan? I think it was state. I think he was a state player. Was he? Man, okay, Magic Johnson, we, we can, you know, we can we can justify looking this stuff up. So was Magic Johnson, we're gonna take some bets on it here. Was Magic Johnson from MSU or uh uh, U of M. College, Michigan State. Giga! Son of a bitch! Ha <laughs> ha! Damn you, my Magic Johnson! Burn in hell! <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so. Uh, oh, I lost my notes. Uh, yeah, what were we talking about again? <laughs> we were talking about chocolate. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, no, that was ten minutes ago. <laughs> so, so uh, I... I Homer asked Magic Johnson, though, he kind of whispers into the phone, he's like, you know, what about people that aren't, you know, they, they didn't re- they're not really heroes, they, you know, they're, they're fakes, basically, and Magic Johnson says, don't worry, frauds are exposed, and Homer's like, thanks, Magic, and, you know, he hangs up. Uh, and so, Homer comes home, and he's kind of depressed. Oh, he's really down on his luck. He he feels like he's a fraud. So I like this because I like when Bart and Homer are on the same page, and they're both really down in this episode. They really are. And uh, and Marge is like, "Did you go out and buy a twenty pound ham?" And then she finds the company Plague. I'm sorry, Plaque. And uh, you know he's a hero. Homer though imagines the dictionary once again, and it shows fraud, imposter, fake Homer Simpson. And he yells at his family. He goes, look, I get enough admiration and respect at work. I don't need it at home. And his family's a little confused, but, you know, whatever. So they have the ham, and Homer says that it tastes bitter. And uh, Marge is like, huh, yeah, it's actually honey glazed. And Maybe uh, you ate a clove. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so Homer asks Bart, he's like, what's your problem, boy? And Bart says he's like Millhouse won't you know is it you know won't be my friend anymore, and Homer's like the four eyes with a big nose you don't need friends like that. At least it's like how zen, and then it dawned on me, is that what my friends' parents yelled at them? The four eyes with is that what they called me? The four eyes with the big nose. I gotta go. <laughs> you answer the question, Sean. I gotta go. <sighs> So Bart is as depressed as I am right now. He sadly looks at photos of him and Millhouse and all the fun times they've had and him typically taking advantage of Millhouse. And the walkie-talkie turns on. And Millhouse tries to reason with him. It says, please don't hate me. And Bart throws the walkie-talkie in the trash. And for the record, screw you, Millhouse. If you're willing to just not be friends with somebody anymore because your mother demanded it, you don't get the right to then beg them not to hate you anymore, but to not be their friend. You yourself, Millhouse, have cut ties with Bart. You don't get to have the satisfaction of knowing that Bart doesn't hate you. Millhouse can kiss my ass in this moment. I don't know. I feel for Millhouse in this moment because you got to do what your mom says at that age. 
you're not really free thinking at 10 years old. I mean, to a degree, you're right. But I don't think that Milhouse has the right to be like, oh, well, you know, at least so long as Bart doesn't hate me, I'll be fine with this. If he he's okay with not being friends with Bart, but he's not okay with the fact that Bart might hate him. I think that's bull. I think it's a lot of bullshit. Whole lot of bullshit. Homer cuts back to the power plant, has the special parking, and he totally dings Mr. Burns' car. He's like, eh, he'll he'll never know who did it. And Smithers, unfortunately, has lost his employee of the month parking, which you'd think as Mr. Burns' assistant that he would just have better parking, but apparently it was all based on the employee of the month. And uh, he he drives to his spot, turns around, and it's a giant field of cars. And uh, I bet at this point, if he turned around, he'd see a fence with the Simpsons home. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Burns calls Homer into his office, and Aristotle, Emma, Emmadopoulos, Amadopoulos, Amadopoulos. Uh, thank you. My phone apparently decided to autocorrect it. Uh, yeah, mine and, did like four yeah. times too. Uh-huh, yeah, Amadopoulos. Uh, who is super Greek. That is a, the most Greek name. Because you can tell. So, uh, without, you know, unveiling my last name, I guess, uh, it is Greek last name, and it ends in an I-S. Now, in this case, it uh, uh, Amadopoulos is a U-S and ends in. Typically, if a name ends in I-S, U-S, or A-S, it is very Greek. It's normally how it goes. I'm not going to say that's always the case, you know, there might be some Greek names out there that are not, but I would say probably like 99% of the time it is a Greek name. Uh, and he uh, is the uh, owner of the Shelbyville Nuclear Power Facility. And he says uh, something of the effect of like, I need you to like, basically they, they want Homer to, to you know, like to give them a speech and rouse them because they're all lazy. And he says, uh, I need you to, something the effect of like, in a... Um, and Homer has no clue what that means. He's like, he's like, and he's like, yes. Uh, which, by the way, I, I searched that phrase, and I do not think that is, those are real words in any language. Uh-huh. I, I searched in, I tried it in Greek, because Amadopoulos is Greek, nothing. I just tried Googling it, nothing. I can't find that that's anything. So it was just John Lovitz gib- uh, gibberish because uh, John Lovitz is doing the voice of this character. This time he is. Yeah, he won't do it the next time, which is unfortunate because I love this voice. Yeah, and the next voice he gets is very weird and out of place. Yeah, it does not seem right. Uh, Smithers comes in, though, and, uh, and Burns is like, you know, like, you know, well, good of you to join us, making fun of the fact he's late. And he's like, I'm sorry, sir, the parking here is like a real problem. And uh, and both Burns and Amadopoulos are like, <gasps> and he's like, get out of my sight. And he turns to Amadopoulos. He's like, that one's always been a problem. When it's Smithers. Poor Smithers. And I think this is the last we see of Smithers in this episode. It is. It is. Poor Smithers. Uh, Bart, meanwhile, is playing with Maggie. And he's playing Monopoly. Uh, Feeding his sister hotels. One of my f- personal favorite board games. I actually used to tournament play Monopoly. Oh, yeah. You told me that before. Yeah. I used to play on a Monopoly circuit. 
And basically, Tournament Monopoly is you play a game of Monopoly for an hour to two hours based Mm -hmm. on the tournament rules. Yeah. And you add up whoever has the most property, most money, and that is the person who is the winner. Basically, if you look in the rules for Monopoly, there's timed Monopoly. It doesn't take forever like everybody thinks the game does. So it's like whoever has the most money at the end, you said? Okay. Interesting. So a lot of the tactic for timed Monopoly is finding ways to stall with your most money. Okay. So you do things like you slowly move your piece across the board because you're taking up as much time as you can, and you count each square because if they see you're moving slow, they will ding you, so you go one, two, three, four, (laughs) five. (laughs) Oh, that's so rotten. So as soon as you have the most money, you just have to stall. Yeah, basically. Interesting. But all property and money is added up together. Okay, I see. So if somebody has a lot of property but not a lot of money, they still could win the game. I gotcha, I gotcha. So you got to be doing math as you go along. That's why I do a lot of math on these episodes because I'm a giant freaking (laughs) math nerd. I love math. (laughs) I used to have a Monopoly wallet back in the day. Nerd. I was batting the ladies off like flies. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. With all that Monopoly money you had, I mean, they were all over you. Uh, So Marge yells at Bart not to feed his sister hotels. And he says, don't worry, Mom, there's tons of these things. And he admits to to Marge, uh, his mother, you know, that that, because she's like, why aren't you playing with Millhouse? Why haven't you made up? And he says that, you know, Millhouse's mom thinks I'm a bad influence. And Marge is a little concerned. And then Bart grabs Maggie and he's like, all right, let's go throw rocks at that hornet's nest. And she's like, hmm. So she meets with Mrs. Van Houten. Uh, they met in the emergency room and the boys drank paint. And uh, she says that, you know, apparently Milhouse, the, the straw that broke the camel's back is that Milhouse said that her uh, meatloaf tasted sucky. And she says that, you know, they don't say that on TV. So it had to be something she picked up from your son, which... They clearly say on TV if part if she just said sucky. That's the joke, Craig. Yep. Uh, Marge admits that he does bad, uh, but the boys, you know, have at least have each other. Like they they they're not very popular. You know, they're a target for bullies. They don't. You know, they're not old enough for girls yet, and so this. You know, they have each other, and so. You know, at the end of it, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Van Houten says that she's going to think about it as she looks outside and sees Millhouse pathetically hopping up alone on a seesaw, you know, which is just the saddest imagery ever. That was my childhood. That's why I played video games. Yeah, video games are definitely they what you should have been doing. Uh, they were my friend, too. Also, because I don't have that human emotion, empathy. I would play through video games to learn what other characters felt to see what it's like. Emple what? Exactly. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I, I do have a little bit of a, a, a gripe here. So, yeah, Bart my Knight might not be the, the best influence, you know, for sure. However, there's something to consider. I can only think of one time Bart ever insulted Marge's cooking. And it's later on when Burns is air. Yeah, when he was under the influence of Mr. Burns. And he just says that it's meatloaf is the uh, his least favorite of loaves. And he feeds it to the dog. That's not the dog. I'll not sit idly by while you feed a hungry dog. Uh, yeah, so I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's you know, it sucks, <laughs> no pun intended, that Milhouse picked up language like that from Bart. But, like, Bart does not disrespect his mother. Bart might be conniving. Bart might not be a great influence. Bart might be a little, as the French say, Bartesque. But he does not insult his mother's cooking. 
That's true. I, I got to give some points to Bart here over Millhouse. Basically, what I'm saying is Millhouse is sucky. I like Millhouse. I relate to Millhouse. You would. Anyway, so uh, Lisa is following Homer around because she's been idolizing the fact that he's been hailed as a hero. And she's at Moe's Tavern watching Homer because apparently she has some paper. And Barney, we cut into the <laughs> tail end of a story where Barney says that like the next time someone says carny folk are good, honest people, you could spit in their faces for me. What did a carny do to Barney? I don't know. We learned a lot about Barney in this one scene. Yeah, because Barney remembers following his dad to bars, too. And I love that Mo slides the chocolate milk and the uh, beer uh, in front of you know Homer and uh, Lisa. And, and Lisa's like, um, I have the chocolate milk. And he slides the beer from Lisa over to Homer. Uh, and so, you know, Mo wants to know why Homer looks depressed. And so... Uh, Homer says that he has to do a speech on keeping cool in a crisis to which he freaks out about. And Barney's like, just picture the audience in their underwear. And Homer's like, what does that work? And he's like, he's like, it worked for me, the judge, the jury, my lawyer, everybody. And Homer's like, does it work? And he's like, well, I'm a free man, aren't I? That's, that's dark. (laughs) It is. I, Back at home, uh, Bart gets a phone call from Millhouse who says that, you know, they can hang out. And when Bart's like, did your mom die? Millhouse is like, I don't think so. And uh, uh, Bart's like, sorry, Maggie. Like, I'm going to go hang out with Millhouse as they, like, are playing chess. And Marge comes in and she's like, oh, did, like, you know, Mrs. Van Houten have a change of heart? And Bart's like, you know, yeah, I'm going to go hang out with Millhouse. And then he says, he's like, thank you, mom. And she's like, well, what makes you think I did anything? And Bart says that who else would stick up for him? And they hug. Aww. Which we don't see tons of moments like that, especially in earlier episodes between Bart and Marge. And then Bart gets out his BB gun. Dead eye brand BB gun. And he cocks it and runs off with a smile. Because he's not that great of an influence. Anywho, uh, so we cut to the nuclear power plant in Shelbyville. And Aristotle is very passionate as he streaks at his employees talking about how they're all worthless animals and stuff. And Homer goes to do his speech and it works. Have you ever done the underwear thing? Like imagining people in their underwear? If you have to do a public speech? I did it one time. Did it work? Well, no. I was reading books to children at the hospital. The next conversation. So, <laughs> a, a meltdown starts to happen, and uh, I like that you don't question me reading books to children at a hospital. Well, I also didn't question that you were imagining them in their underwear either. You'll notice. <laughs> anyway, a meltdown happens, and Homer's like, "Woo!" And uh, so Homer, they drag Homer into the the you know the the you know sector that has this meltdown and aristotle is like all right do what you did before and homer's like all right if you're sure and he goes up to the controls goes through eeny meeny miny mo again hits the button and he averts the meltdown and aristotle's like i thank you for saving my plant with that idiotic rhyming scheme he's like do you even know what button you pressed and homer's like sure mo no. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it cuts to My Two Cents from Kent Brockman, which is a segment we'll see him use later on as well. I think this might be the first one time he's used it. I think it is. Now, Kent Brockman is talking about how, you know, Homer is not a hero. But why? Mr. Burns covered it up. Nobody should know that Homer saved the city from meltdown, right? It was just a crow flying into their, like, early warning system. That's true. So that seems weird. Uh, But uh, Kent Brockman uh, cuts over to Scott Christensen with Laugh and a Half, which, is that another segment this is the first time we're seeing? Or was that used previously in Krusty Gets Busted? I think it was used in Krusty Gets Busted. It might be, yeah. Uh, apparently, uh, uh, Chief Wiggum pulled a homer himself as he was counting pennies and uh, caught Snake, the uh, criminal, who I don't think it's been named yet. Nope, he's just Jailbird at the time. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, a, a jar of pennies gets smashed over his head, and he sa- you know he, he saves the bank. It cuts to a game of uh, the L.A. Lakers where Magic Johnson is running down the court and shout out to the creators of The Simpsons because they actually got Chick Hearn as the announcer here. Which is pretty amazing. He was the announcer for the L.A. Lakers. Uh, and even when the and this is the, he was great. Like if and like not that I listened to that much basketball when I was younger, you know, I, I in the early 90s, I was more into basketball than I am now. But I was hardly an expert. I wouldn't have been able to tell you who Chick Hearn was back then. But if you go on YouTube and search him, uh, he's an amazing announcer. And, uh, like, his voice is great. And uh, anyway, he, you know, he's really well known for, like, his, uh, uh, how would I put it? Uh, He he has a very uh, uh, rapid-fire staccato announcer style where, like, every word is separate from one another. So it's very easy to understand him, but he talks really fast. Uh, he also came up with a lot of terms, basketball terms, that are, like, still used today. Uh, he was active from 1957 to 2002 when he passed away. He broadcasted, now this isn't the total, but he broadcasted 3,338 consecutive Lakers games starting on November 21st, 1965. Good God. Right? Uh, the other uh, uh, interesting thing to note is when the the industry was switching to uh, radio announcers and TV announcers as being separate, L.A. kept him as both at the same time. That's awesome. Yeah, they they, they loved him, and, and every, they have every right to. He's great. So Chick Hearn announces that, you know, Magic Johnson runs down the court, slips, throws the ball, gets a three-pointer, and the it, Lakers the win the game. The ball bounces off the ref's head. <laughs> That's right. And Magic Johnson slides into like a, a, a group of like cheerleaders. He's like, look like I just pulled a Homer. It cuts to the dictionary and it shows Homer, American bonehead. Pull a Homer to su- succeed despite idiocy. And Lisa says, our dad, now he belongs to the ages as he appears in the dictionary. Sean, lasting impact. I have that this episode really more than any previous uh, episode, emphasized the two uh, two stories and weave them together a lot better than they had previously. I feel like this is the episode where they started to really show what they could do with those two tier stories, so to speak. So I have that this episode has one of the better B stories for it, and yeah. it really fleshes out Bart as a character. Oh, for sure. This fleshes out Bart better than we've seen in, like, even some of the previous episodes Bart the murderer doesn't flesh out the Bart he's a bad kid but he tries mm-hmm. also 
this episode is kind of interesting because the Simpsons are in the dictionary. Oh? Dough is in the dictionary. Oh, yeah, it is, isn't Doe it? Dough is in Webster's Dictionary, uh, used to express sudden recognition of foolish blunder or an ironic turn of events. That's pretty great. It's it's great that the, the Simpsons has really, really not only appeared in our lexicon, but legitimately in a diction, in the dictionary. Oh, yeah. It has appeared in the zeitgeist of culture, and it will not go away, even though the Simpsons should have died years and years <laughs> ago. That is true. So, Sean, uh, before we start to wrap things up here, I just want to do, uh, do a you know quick shout out, of course, to our Patreon page. Uh, for anyone who wants to support Noiseland Arcade, uh, Noiseland Arcade is a part of the GameZilla Media Network. So if you would like to help us out, make sure to go to patreon.com slash GameZilla Media, where you'll be able to support the show. Uh, for $5 a month, you get access to our bi-monthly show called Smartline, which gives you a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a deeper look into different, you know, topics, characters, tons of stuff like that in The Simpsons. So definitely check that out, especially because you'll get all the other benefits from all the shows in the GameZilla Media Network. And uh, it gives you all the backlog as well. So everything we've previously done opens up to you, which is awesome. Uh, but, uh, Sean, what is your quote of the episode? So mine is less of a quote and more of an entire scene in its little entirety. Uh-huh. Margarita, I want you. Mr. Devereaux, I can't work under these conditions. Have it your way, baby. You're fired. Oh, Avery, call me Mr. Devereaux. <laughs> I love that so much. Oh, uh, what's your favorite quote of the episode? I glossed over this one on purpose because it's my favorite from the episode. How are you enjoying your ham, homie? Tastes so bitter, it's like ashes in my mouth. Hmm, it's actually more of a honey glaze. Maybe you ate a clove. <laughs> 